psalm this morning is 149. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing praise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing praise to the Lord. Let Israel be glad in their maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with the tambourine and the lyre. Sing to the Lord a new song, sing praise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, sing praise to the Lord. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing praise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing praise to the Lord. Crown him with men.
Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you made the heavens and the earth. You made men and women in your image, and you said that all of it, all of it was good. You give us new life. You call us out of our sin and rebellion into your covenant family. So, Lord, may we be a people who magnify the glory of the gospel. May we be a people who shine bright the grace and the self-giving love of Jesus. As we continue our worship now, make us aware of your presence. Open our hearts to take in your words that uh, exhort, that comfort, that build up our faith. Father, meet us by your spirit in the places that we find ourselves. Meet some of us in the everyday rhythm of life, in the mundane, in the routine. Remind us, Lord, of the goodness of sitting and resting at your feet. Lord, meet some of us in the beautiful, the exhausting care of guiding our children. And some of us left with the wounds of a, of a troubled relationship. Father, meet those of us in the uncertainty of, of trying to figure out what our next move is. Lord, meet those of us in the need of that reminder that we are not alone, that our worth is not bound up in our achievements, that we, we have to be put together for you to, to hear and engage us. Meet us in these places, we pray, with your love and grace, which we know is free and full of rest and life. Do this by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The children are now dismissed for children's worship.
Well, we turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time where we can are open and honest and acknowledge with God our sin and our need of him. We'll just do this together as a church and then have a time of personal quiet confession. This is what God told his people. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. We thank you for your word, but we confess we often forget you, the living God, to chase false gods. We trust in things made by human hands. We hope in things that, that bring us bondage, not life. Let us bow down and worship before you, the Lord our maker. You are our God, and we are the people of your pasture. Please take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we come to you in sin and weakness. We confess it's hard to be honest about our neediness. And like Adam and Eve, we, we want to cover up our guilt and shame. But God, we know that you see us and in your kindness through your son, you lead us out of death and into life. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's join together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 
as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also take a moment to welcome one another. Morning. So as a lesson, we probably should bring our books. I had a Wi-Fi issue, so one moment to uh, pull the verses back. Just close your eyes and, and pray in <laughs> advance of this great scripture. Our New Testament lesson today is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. 
Let no doubt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Our gospel lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. This is the word of the Lord. morning. It's good to worship with you and look at God's word. Thanks, Will, for reading. It was, it was worth the wait. Don't worry. Um, you'll see a note in your order that this fall, our, our sermon series is known and loved. Known and loved. This is part of the, the promises of the gospel that God knows us and loves us. And uh, at least this first part of the series, uh, we're looking at uh, the early chapters of Genesis as a way to, to know the kind of the story of humanity, but also to be reminded that there's another story. There's the story of God that brings uh, new life to us. And so we're going to look at Genesis uh, 2 and chapter and Genesis 3 in just a moment. But before I read that, I want to mention that um, this week I caught two kind of stories or two emails that came across my computer that were about time, about time. And the, the first one maybe was kind of a short-term idea, the, the second one a long-term. But I got an email with the subject line, 100 days until Christmas. 100 days till Christmas. Now, that might be exciting, but for me, I was like, what? That can't be possible, right? Time keeps moving. And so one thing that time reminds us of is that time moves. The things go quickly, right? It's hard to keep up. There's always something happening. But there was another uh, note that I saw that was maybe about maybe time being longer than what we think. And this was about a, a crowd that gathered in Germany to see a crane lower a large concrete block. You can ask why, why did they do that? But this was part of an art installation. The concrete block was part of a sculpture uh, translated as the sculpture's name from German is Time Pyramid, the Time Pyramid. And if you wish to see the next concrete block, you know, dropped by a crane, you can do so. It will happen 10 years from now. And this art 
work every 10 years, a new block is added to the pyramid. And this started in 1993 in a town called Linding, Germany, as a way to mark the anniversary of this town. It was 1,200 years old. And so this artist began an art installation that every 10 years, a block would be added to build a pyramid. So this block that just went down the other day was the fourth block. So 3% of the project is done. It will be done and completed in 3,183 AD. Uh, and interestingly, the artist who came up with this project uh, passed away in 2018. So he only saw the very beginning. But this artwork, the time pyramid, is described as a study in long-term thinking. Long-term thinking. The town existed before you and it will exist after you. This project started and will last for generations. Long-term thinking is often helpful to us, but it can be challenging if you're like me. Life is full of demands. It's hard not to just see what we have to do right now but it can be helpful to see beyond. And I'm not asking you to, this morning to think about a German sculpture, but rather I'm gonna invite you to hear these ancient words from Genesis two and three. Words that invite us to see our human experience, not just as our experience, but as part of the human story of what it means to be a human being. And the hope would be that in knowing the human story, we then are opened up to hear the story that God is telling in the midst of it. So let's look at our passage. This is Genesis 2, verse 18 through 25, and then chapter 3, 1 through 10. It's printed in your order of worship. You can follow there or in your Bible. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Then Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as I said, the hope is that we can look at these passages and understand better the human story, the human experience. And so there's two parts this morning. We're going to look at that to be human is to be seen, but we also, to be human, know what it is to hide, to be seen and to be hidden. So let's start with Genesis 2, and we see that humans are made to be seen, that we're made to be known. It's not good that the man should be alone. This is the Lord's opening announcement. I don't know how that strikes you, how that comes across. This statement can hit us in in deep ways. It's possible. Maybe it echoes our experience, the the pain of separation and loss or the, the joy of connection. Maybe it heightens our sense of loneliness. Maybe it sparks a sadness or even an anger. It reminds us of expectations or it brings about a sense of shame to us. I hope that we can hear that this announcement is not simply a a directive about marriage. Rather, it's a statement about being a human. And it speaks to all of us. In fact, I'd say that this chapter 2, it it gives us two truths, two two truths about what it means to be a human. And the first one right away, we can see that the first truth is that we need others. We need to be seen and we need to be known. And such an announcement at the heart of creation reminds us of the church. Of course, the the term church wouldn't come for thousands of years later, but we are reminded even here that we're not simply saved by Christ as individuals, that faith is not some kind of just transaction, but that rather in Christ, the the promise, the, 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 the hope of the gospel of the church is that we're reconciled to God. And therefore, through Christ, we're also reconciled to one another, brought into a new community in which we are seen in a new way, in which we see others in a new way through the lens and the person of Christ. And so while marriage is the most intimate union in the place of procreation, it is not the only answer to our fundamental human desire for connection, to be known. It's not good that the man should be alone. And so what do we see in our passage? What does God do? I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper. Now we should acknowledge, unfortunately, there's been times where that term helper has been used to speak of superiority or inferiority. And we should be clear that is not what this word means. The word does not carry along this idea of one being above the other. In fact, helper is used 19 times in the, in the Old Testament, and 16 of them are about God. God is the helper. God speaking of our need for a helper highlights the second truth about what it means to be a human being. To be a human means we need help. Sounds obvious, right? But it seems at times, if you're like me, that we resist this reality that we need help. We need to receive support from those who 
who see us. And in order to stress the significance of this help and the nature of who we are, our passage kind of highlights this through a few steps. There's the garden with God and with the man who bears God's image. We see that there is God, but the man needs another helper, one from creation. And we see that there are animals, but Adam needs a suitable helper, one like him. So God brings forth the woman, and she is the crowning event of creation. The way the story builds, that this is the fulfillment of humanity. The two are equal in God's image and in their standing before God. The idea of being taken from the rib, this, this imagery is this idea that the two can be side by side with one another. Two made by God who know and see and help one another. And the way that this relationship, the way this relationship is described is that they were both naked and were not ashamed. Naked but not ashamed. And that phrase stands out because the result, uh, naturally expected, what, what we would maybe expect to be the case when seen, is that they would be ashamed. Right? It's, it's, it's maybe what we experience and what we would expect, that being seen leads to being ashamed, but here they are not. In fact, in Genesis 2 is the only occurrence of the word naked in the Old Testament that is, has a positive connotation. The rest of the scripture, naked carries these ideas of being humiliated, of feeling guilt, or experiencing loss. But here, in this unique way, we're drawn to this attention that nakedness is the image of an openness, the image of trust. It's not merely physical, but it concerns one's trust in relationship to another and to God. You see, these ancient words invite us to see two fundamental truths about ourselves, about what it means to be a human being. We're made to be known and made to be helped. And in this moment, in this setting that we see, these things were acknowledged, these truths were acknowledged without shame. They are not embarrassed by their need of help, their need to be known, and their need to trust another. Now, like I said, it's helpful for us to consider the human experience, the, the human story described in Genesis 2. But when it we consider it, we can see maybe the, the, the beauty of it, but it also provokes uh, other things in us, I imagine. Maybe it affirms or brings forth a deep longing, a deep longing for things to be different or for us to experience certain things. It, it might make our hearts ache. I wish that was the case for me. I wish this could be my experience. It might bring about uh, a gratitude for the experiences that we have, or, or more, more likely maybe a sadness or even an anger. And while we know that the story speaks of being seen, we also then have to see it in relationship to the next chapter in Genesis 3 that tells us also of hiding and of fear. The story of being a human is not just being seen, 
but it's hiding in fear as well. So that brings us to the second part of our sermon in Genesis 3, that we're, humans are made to be seen, but we all know, we all of us know what it is to hide. And the way that this kind of reality is explained to us, uh, invited for us to re reflect upon, is that that term naked moves from an image of openness and trust in chapter 2 to now an image of being exposed and afraid and ashamed in chapter 3. And we can ask what happened or what changed. And this broads, it brings us into this broader story of how God fits into what it means to be human. God created and formed the world, formed us by his good words. But we see also that words can be used to corrupt and to confuse. That The serpent here is the deceiver and the manipulator. God has given the garden as a gift to be enjoyed. And God invites the humans to eat of the, the, the abundance and there's ample permission. You can eat of any tree, but there is one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you will die. And this brings in the, the presence of God into the human story that as the creator of the garden, as the creator and maker of humans, God is the one who invites us into a life of freedom and abundance within what we could call a kind boundary the kind boundary of his good word. It's inside such a boundary that we can flourish and that we learn to honor others. But here we see that the serpent alters God's word from a kind boundary to a threat. I don't know if you noticed that. There's a, there's a, a twist of the words. They're no longer a boundary that might protect, but they are a threat that might keep you away from something that's good. Is God keeping us from something good? Is, is God really good? Is God really trustworthy? The discussion of help, the idea of helping one another is replaced with an individual calculation. Is, there, is it possible that there's something else that I'm not experiencing that I should take hold of? And such words, such manipulations do violence. We see that here and maybe we know that in our own life as well. They have the power to separate us and tear us apart. God's command is no longer the boundary of a safe place, but now a barrier to be overcome. And with the result of this new agenda, this new way of seeing the world, she eats and he eats as well. And, and what is the result? What do we hear in our passage the power of death is immediately manifest. It's immediately manifest in shame and in hiding. Naked but unashamed is replaced. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. No shame, not ashamed, becomes covered with shame, filled with embarrassment. And this human spiritual death is expressed in alienation. Alienation from one another, symbolized with sowing fig leaves and kind of covering themselves, managing how they're seen. An alienation from God, symbolized in hiding amongst the trees in the garden. 
there's no more mentioning of tending and feeding and knowing and helping. Their story, the human story, becomes one of learning how to cover and learning how to hide. And, and we know this dynamic, right? We know the dynamic of fear and shame. The place of being seen and help can quickly become a place of resentment and hurt and anger, blame, defensiveness, where all of a sudden the, the fruit that comes forth is not one of help or being known, but one of sorrow and regret and pain and sadness. A hate for oneself, for foolishness, for what I've done. Rather than go back to God with their nakedness, rather go, go back to God, seek out God with their shame, they cover themselves, they seek to alleviate the problem themselves, and they find large leaves of the fig tree to make aprons for themselves. And so we see in the change from naked and unashamed to naked and afraid the, the story of humanity. And then I assume because you're like me that it's the story that you know as well. But there is another one who's walking in the garden. The one who offered a kind boundary and an abundance and the gift of this world. There's another one, our creator. And our creator sees us. And he invites us to a different story, a different way, by asking, where are you? Why are you hiding? And I want to suggest that in these simple questions, God is inviting these first humans to come forth, to stop hiding. He's inviting them to the possibility of hope, the hope that there is something more than what I've done or failed to do. There's something more than my guilt or shame or my hiding. And see, to think about the story of humanity invites us ultimately to think about the story of God. I have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not a gardener. I don't really like to uh, work in a garden. My wife can attest to this. I've struggled to keep our yard looking, in our small yard to look in some decent form. Maybe you have this experience, but we have a, a fence line and along the fence, there's these kind of like, the best way to describe them is weed trees. They're these kind of things that grow super fast somehow and they kind of wrap in the, the fence and they always seem to be growing. So it's like a constant struggle to let them, you know, stop them from, from being in the yard. In our case, they're, they're near our grapevines, and so we don't want them to like take over the grapevines. So the other day, my son Owen and I were out trying to cut them down, cut, cut down the trees, and so they didn't wrap into the fence or take out the grapevines that we wanted to keep. And in doing that, maybe there is an image that I can invite you to that the image of these two things that are kind of intertwined or even growing close to each other. One of the ways that Jesus talks about kind of the stories of our life is to look at the fruit. And in the midst of this world, there is kind of the, the story of the, of the weeds, the things that grow and kind of choke. And then there's the story of fruit that brings forth life. And one of the ways that Christianity has talked about the good fruit is to talk about virtues. And that there's three fundamental virtues of the Christian faith 
faith, hope, and love. And that they are planted in the midst of this world that is broken, bringing forth new life in the midst of things that choke. And one of the ways that, that we can think about faith, hope, and love that the, the church has often connected them to vices to help us understand that they kind of grow up next to a weed. <clears throat> For example, we can think of greed, that why greed hoards to, to seek self-satisfaction. That that's kind of the human story. Greed hoards. Faith is different. Faith trusts that God will provide all that is good and necessary. Or we can think about the weed of pride that obsesses over the self and being superior to others and how that it kind of tells the story of humanity. But yet there is this other fruit called love or charity who thinks little of herself and pours out herself for others. And interestingly, there's another advice called vainglory or, or vanity. This is the idea that we seek life, that we'll find life by pleasing others, by comparing ourselves to others, by kind of having the right image. And this vice is the opposite of the fruit of hope. Vainglory is the opposite of hope. Fostering or learning how to hide, fostering the right image, stems from an absence of hope. Instead of hoping that there could be a welcome, the hope that I could be seen and, and known, the hope that I could experience grace and forgiveness, instead of that hope, vainglory seeks life by managing how others see us. That life is found in the weeds and the choking of an image. And in this, this way, this story, if we follow that story, all of our learning and our, our work, our relationships, and even God, they are reduced to a means for us to have a certain way that we're seen, a certain way to hide or project who we are. This human story invites us today to even think about how we cover ourselves or how we're trying today to make ourselves more acceptable or to hide our limits to forget our nakedness, to deny you know, our brokenness, our need for help. Maybe our lives are marked by success and busyness and entertainment and distraction. Maybe it's through substances or through activities that we seek to try to dull our awareness of ourselves. But our passage invites us not only to know that story, to be honest about that story, but to hear the story of God. That there is one who walks in the garden who asks, where are you? Where are you hiding? Who offers us the story of hope that there's something more than my ability to project an image. We see the heart of this God, the heart of the one who calls out to us in Romans 5, in the person of Christ. It tells us why we were still sinners, why we were still covered in shame, why we were still weak. Christ died for the ungodly. It goes on, Christ didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He came and laid down his life for us even when we were far too weak or rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And through Christ, it says, by faith we now stand in grace. And if we stand in grace, we now have the hope of God. 
it's possible for religion, for religion to be one more way to hide. To figure out how to push down the, the, the things into the corners and to only let certain things be seen. But the story of God, the story of hope is different. And we can imagine a God who says, I see you. I know you. And I choose for you to be here. I choose for you to be here. I found you and I've given you a new place to stand. To be known and unashamed. This is the good news. And it's why the church's answer to our shame is not that we become famous <laughs> or we somehow prove ourselves or we do all the things right. The church's answer to shame is a new community formed by Christ in which weakness is welcomed, in which we are seen and loved and known, in which we stand in God's grace for us, him finding us. I pray that we would know this good story even in the midst of honesty about our own story and that it might bring forth hope, the planning of hope in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this day, promising us and reminding us that there's something more, something more than our ability to hide or to protect ourselves, something more than our ability to project an image. And so, Lord, meet us with your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand with us, and we'll sing together. Ah. Uh -huh. 
Loving God, you created heaven and earth out of nothing. You uphold and rule all things by your eternal counsel and providence. You not only created each of us, but you sustain us with your spirit, providing whatever we need for body and soul. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. may be seated. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people, that God offers us these good gifts. Uh, whenever we come for the sacrament of communion, we remind ourselves that here is a picture of, of who God is and, and God's kingdom. That we who are far off, we who would um, want to hide and to cover ourselves in all sorts of ways, God pursues us and brings us to sit at his table, part of his family. And our place at the table is not because we've you know, checked all the boxes, but by the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Our place, our place that we stand or that we sit at the table is by God's grace. And so this wonder upon wonder this table tells us is that God sees us, God knows us, and God loves us fully. This is the good news. The bread and the cup give witness to it. If you know that truth, if you know that good news that speaks into your story, then come and eat and drink. Let this table be a reminder, be a witness, be an, a nourishment to your faith. If you do not yet know Christ or know that story, let this table be an invitation, a witness to who God is and to what he invites his church to know. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this table. These things that we see and hold and taste that tell us, again, the good news of Christ. That we who are far off have been brought home. We who are on our own are now the children of God. And our place is secure by your grace from now to the end. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. So on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're taking communion this morning, I invite you to come forward to the, to the table that you can receive the bread and the cup here. And then you can go back on the sides. Uh, ask if you're able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink together. If you're not taking communion this morning, we're glad that you're here and invite you to still come forward. If you put your arm across your chest, Pastor Brian and I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now and let us come and receive the gifts that God gives for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table of grace, let's stand that as God's people, we can respond in prayer and song and confession. Lord Jesus Christ, you have promised to make all things new. As we head into this new week, help us to remember the times in the past where your promises have upheld us. Grant that we may look forward to the future with hope as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come. join together in confessing our faith. As followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, but which others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust our world belongs to God. From the beginning through all the crises of our times until his kingdom fully comes, God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to him. Let the earth be glad. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue worship through a chance to give our offering to God. We can respond to God's generosity by giving our gifts. Uh, so there's, the greeters are going to come forward. Uh, there's a gray basket that you can put your communion cup in, and then a silver offering plate if you'd like to, uh, to give a gift. You'll see a note in your order that you can also do so through the <coughs> <excuse me. coughs> church's website if you'd like. Um, also, just uh, as the greeters come forward, just want to... I say welcome again, especially if you are joining us for the first time. We're really glad that you're here worshiping with us. Uh, there is a time of coffee and bagels after the, the service. Uh, it's in the hallway right behind us. We often do it outside, but given the weather, uh, it's right behind me in the, in the hallway. And so please you know, grab a bagel and some coffee. Uh, just a reminder that we are having our congregational meeting today, so it's a little different than most Sundays. But uh, about five minutes after the service ends, we'll gather back those who are going to be at the meeting uh, for our time. And so that everyone's welcome to come. It's a chance for us to check in as the fall begins, uh, kind of how we're doing as a church and any questions that people might have. Um, the last thing to mention is that if you are interested in being part of the dinners together uh, that the Carters are hosting and also the McNally's, uh, there are sign-up sheets in the back table that you can sign up for. Uh, these are just a chance to get together with others and enjoy a meal together in someone's home. So uh, take a look at those. You can also sign up through the weekly email. Let's continue giving our gifts uh, to God.
you please stand and join us for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Shout on, pray on, we're gaining ground. Glory, hallelujah. The dead's alive and the lost is found. Glory, hallelujah. He Receive now God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. You may go in peace.